morning. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 33. If you're in the Church Bible, that's on page 1001. And if you've got the large print Bible, that's on page 1870. So Luke 23, starting at verse 33. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminal, criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are, get, for what we are getting, what our deserve, deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> I must stop touching anything to do with the microphone. This is going to be a bit terrifying for me because um, me and technology go together like peaches and creosote, really. <laughs> I don't know if you're used to having titles for sermons. Sometimes, sometimes. I'm not sure that I am, but if you'd like one for this sermon, I'll give you an old phrase that you might have heard before. It's this. So heavenly-minded as to be no earthly use. So heavenly-minded as to be no earthly use. And I want to use that phrase to help me kind of pull away at the idea of the kingdom of God. Because today the church keeps a feast, the feast of Christ the King. And the idea is to give us a sharp reminder of what we believe about the rule of God on this, the last Sunday of the church's year. So what I plan to do is to ask you to reflect with me a little on the nature of the rule of Christ. Secondly, to explore 
where that rule of Christ might be seen to be at work. And finally, to think a little bit about the implication of that rule for our own relationship with the world in which we are set. And all being well, for that third phase, I'm going to show you a video clip um, that relates to part of the church's mission in Kent. So let's begin with the idea of Christ the King. We had that powerful, distressing gospel reading in which Jesus of Nazareth is revealed as being someone way beyond the simple amateur rabbi from upcountry Galilee. The criminal dying alongside him in his agony is right to say, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. By his willing self-offering, Jesus comes into his kingdom of love. By his death, he destroys our death. And by his rising to life, he reveals our resurrection. Words I hope may be familiar to at least some of you from scripture and from our worship. So God's kingdom, and this is quite unusual, is not a kingdom of oppression, but a kingdom of salvation, one of self-giving, not of taking, one of generosity, one of service. The other reading set for today, Colossians chapter 1, has these words to express what God did for us through the crucifixion. I quote, the Father has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you perhaps will now make a connection with the first worship song that had those powerful words about leaving darkness. The death of Christ was not some tragic accident. No, it was the intervention of a loving God in the future of humanity. There's a, a really stark image that Christians have sometimes used of Christ on the cross, but wearing a crown and a robe perhaps a little like that which the Roman soldiers had mocked him with before his cruel execution. The cross as a weapon of destruction is subverted by the overwhelming love of God and becomes a throne from which the Prince of Peace reigns in the face of the hostility of darkness and of sin. So he can turn to his fellow sufferer. 
and promise him the hope of a life beyond that vicious cruelty. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me. Now, can we see that rule of Christ at work? Phase two. <laughs> well, I'd suggest to you that there are some areas where we might see the rule of Christ at work, which might include, but don't try and limit it to, our own lives, our relationships, and the lives of our church communities. So if we are serious about following his example, we will be able to see those principles of self-giving, generosity, and service being worked out in our own lives as far as we're able. They'll also be characteristic of our relationships with family, friends, neighbours. They'll also be typical of relationships that we experience within our faith communities. So I do believe that we should constantly challenge ourselves individually and as community as to whether we are actually providing real evidence of the rule of Christ. Yes, of course, we get it wrong sometimes, maybe quite often, but that's no reason not to persist. We do, after all, have the reassurance of the unending and unlimited love of God for us. But we have to remember there is something beyond this. The rule of Christ, the presence of the kingdom of God, is not limited to us or to the church. This is God's world. Christ came to save the whole of creation, not just humanity. Therefore, as Archbishop Rowan used repeatedly to remind us, our task, in part, is to search out where God is already at work in the world and join in. Because it's God's mission to God's world that we should be taking a share in. You see, I think there's actually a serious danger for us we can turn the rule of God into a purely spiritual thing, so to speak. We can over-spiritualize. So much so that somehow our Christian discipleship seems no longer to connect to the actual life of humanity. Remember where I started? so heavenly minded as to be no earthly use so let me take you into the third stage of this how do we relate to the world in which we are set whilst remaining part of the kingdom of God I believe very strongly indeed that we are not called to isolation but to service 
our Lord Jesus Christ told us that we are to be like salt that changes the flavour of everything around us. We are to be like yeast that makes the bread rise. And we can't do that if we sit in a little Christian huddle, <coughs> only having Christian friends, only going to shops that have got the little fishy on their advertising, you know the sort of thing. Actually having only the absolutely minimum contact with the reality of society. Now you may know that apart from possessing a wonderful range of spectacles, um, I, my commitment within the parish um, is not full-time. I'm in a part-time post, but I have to make it just very clear, I am a full-time priest in a part-time job. One of the other things I do when I'm not being at Swalcliffe is to lead the Kent Critical Instant Chaplaincy Service, usually known as CICS. That's the phrase I shall use. Now you probably, actually I hope you've never heard of CICS, and I really, really hope that you will never see us in action. Because we would only be deployed in situations of serious civil contingency. And none of us want those, do we? You may know the biggest threat to Kent is flooding. That's not very far from here, is it? And in the event of major flooding, we would be deployed. In fact, a little while ago, we were rehearsing with the cooperation of the local people the evacuation of Greatstone on the Romney Marsh. Bishop Trevor wasn't best pleased by this because he said he'd blessed the sea defences himself and they weren't <laughs> going to fail. <laughs> but never mind, never mind. I have um, the role of leading what is an ecumenical service and I report to the church leaders in Kent, that's the bishops and their free church equivalents, and I also have a role speaking for the churches in the emergencies and resilience communities. So we take part in preparedness exercises alongside the blue light and volunteer emergency services. And I'd like to share part of one of those exercises with you by, St. Alphage pray for us, showing you a video clip. <laughs> Mike and I think we've got this sorted. Um, I need to give you a little preamble to it. In 2011, five people died and more than a thousand were injured when severe storm force winds and torrential rain struck the Pop Festival near Hasselt in Belgium. As part of Kent's preparedness planning, we thought we'd better exercise a response to such a situation at Detling Showground. And the clip begins where responders start to deploy into that situation. I should warn you, there are a few people right at the beginning with simulated injuries. 
there are also some people seriously overacting, because that's what happens if you ask volunteers to pretend they're victims. There's nobody from the WI here, is there? <laughs> they're a wonderful source of victims, loud, extravagant victims. But just try and watch what's going on in the video, particularly watch out for the volunteer emergency services. And I'll tell you why later. Mike, I'm in your hands. County Radio Communications Officer for St John Ambulance, Kent. Primary role today was communications on the radio side. Ended up as bronze forward to manage the incident with the Red Cross bronze forward. The units, St John and Red Cross, worked very well together. I think personally, as it was new to all of them, they done very well. And hopefully they've learnt a lot from it. Our role this evening is to assist the various different first aid teams uh, with moving personnel equipment uh, and also uh, casualty evacuation to and from the helicopter. Um, we also provided teams to uh, tend off uh, the public and, and make sure the area was secure for the Kazavaks. Airsearch is a voluntary organisation made up of pilots and observers who give their time and their aircraft free of charge to the emergency services. Um, we provide eyes in the sky most of the time and we do photographic surveys. Um, sometimes, as is the case today, we can bring a helicopter in and we can actually pick people up and take them to hospital. Uh, we're currently practising and training for the Olympic Games and we'll be supplying emergency services with eyes in the sky for the two weeks of the Olympic Games. On, after that, we should continue for the Paralympics as well. So 
virtually a month will be taken up with our pilots and observers flying to provide these eyes in the sky. I'm Colin Bowman and I'm one of four controllers uh, for Kent Raynet. Uh, Raynet is, uh, ha we have volunteers who are all uh, radio amateurs, they've all studied with Ofcom to take a uh, proper licence and then they volunteer to assist with uh, Raynet uh, should the national communications or local communications fall down or prove insufficient for the duration of emergency. That's our primary role, but for this event we've been assisting with testing a software package that's designed to speed and uh, uh, assist with the registration of people evacuated or people moving into rest centres. Uh, we've learned, had some learning points that we uh, hope to feed back. Uh, it's been a very worthwhile exercise for us. I'm uh, an officer in the Salvation Army and my primary responsibility today is as the emergency response officer. We're here to exercise our mobile canteen, to get a, a crew working on it and just to iron out any wrinkles with that. The, the good thing about an exercise like this is that it gives us a chance to work together, to get to know each other, to understand each other's capabilities so that when a real incident happens, as it surely will sometime, we will be much better geared up to respond. We've learned a lot from this exercise this evening about the way we operate as a group, how we relate to the other voluntary organisations, the support that we can offer to people. And we want to, to go back now and reflect on our operating methods so that we can ensure that we deliver the best possible service to people caught up in a serious incident. On. 
If you want to um, watch the whole of that, you can find it on YouTube. Search for Kent Eval. Right, Kent Eval. Now, if I knew where I put my reading glasses, this would be really good. And the point of all that, you may be wondering, the point of it? Well, this might be hard to hear. You know, the most regular response that I've had to CICS with new people on exercise over the years is for them to say something like, well, I am surprised to see you here. I didn't think the church was interested in this sort of thing. Does that worry you? I think it ought to. Remember where I started? So heavenly minded, yeah? Our faith, which is so rooted in the human suffering of our Lord, seems to be so ill-known that other people can't understand why we would want to respond to the suffering of humanity. Have we really lost contact with our society that far? Have we also lost touch with our own humanity? Christ's suffering was for the redemption of humanity, of humanity, not for us to hide it away as a kind of little hidden treasure. I hope you realise, I'm sure you've been taught, that all the gifts the Almighty gives to us as individuals and as the people of God are given for one purpose only, to build us all up. To build the kingdom. This place, this building, is not meant as a cosy shelter. It's not supposed to be a bunker for us to hide in. Quite the opposite. This place, this outpost of heaven, there's a church where my daughter's at university, it's got a lovely title, it's called Christ's Embassy in Bermondsey. I think that's great. I think they're not Church of England. <laughs> this place is an entrance lobby for us to go out into the world for the sake of Christ and in his name to love and to serve the world that he was sent to redeem. That is God's mission to the world. It is our mission to the world. Let me just give you a slightly more cheering anecdote to finish off. Um, the main, or the chief trainer for emergency planning in Kent um, is a really hard-bitten old soldier, um, what those in the military call a real old sweat. He's not prone to mince his words, even the ones that I could repeat here. 
He was taking a training session for a bunch of local government officers. And I felt quite sorry for them, really, because they'd just been told that on their grade, no matter what their day job was, they would be expected to run rest centres in the case of a serious emergency. And here's their two-day training to find out how to do it. And at the end of their two-day training, which included a live exercise, one of these government officers vented her distress at the possibility of being put in that situation. What will I do, though? What will I do? You know, there was real anguish in her voice. The trainer walked over to one of our chaplains who'd been part of the exercise team, put his hand on the chaplain's shoulder and simply said, any problems, send for one of these guys. When I train new chaplains, I lay on them the duty of being prepared but also the duty of praying daily for the safety of the people of Kent. I hope you will join us in those prayers. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed as is most justly due, all might, majesty, dominion, and power, henceforward, world without end. Amen.